So Luke chapter number 17, we'll read the scripture, we'll pray, and then we'll get into our time of instruction. Let's look at verse number 28. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. And they said to him, Where, Lord? And he said, Where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Father in heaven, I pray that you would bless our time together in your word tonight. Help me, Lord, to take a deep breath and be a good teacher to be led by the Holy Spirit, to be directed by the Holy Spirit, to communicate effectively. And Father, we have presented to you a ton of needs, and many of them are physical. Many are battling cancer. Names weren't mentioned. I think about Phyllis Arnold, Lord, our dear sister, who was so faithful for so many years to this church and is now on the uh, brink of departing this world and entering the age to come. And I pray, Lord God, that you would give her grace, fill her with your spirit, may she sense your presence. Lord, we love you. Amen. So let's review from last week. Let's kind of pick up a little bit where Mike was at. Mike did a great job with this yellow and green. I love the way he chose to illustrate that to you. Who can remember what the yellow was? Who can remember what the yellow was concerning the kingdom? What word did he use? Yeah, Josh says already, and that is absolutely correct. He said this is the already aspect. And then as soon as he says that it's already in your midst, he then turns around and gives a dissertation about a future something. And what did we call the green? Yes, it was the not yet. And this is acknowledging the reality that there seems to be an aspect of kingdom present now and there is a kingdom to come. Now there are at least three perspectives on this idea of kingdom and I'm going to label them with classic or traditional dispensationalism, progressive dispensationalism, and then new covenant theology. And if you're not familiar with those terms, uh, you can Google them. Gospel Coalition has some good articles that you can begin reading to familiarize with them. But in classic dispensationalists, the idea is that the Davidic covenant was offered, rejected, and postponed. It was offered, rejected, and postponed. The difference between classic dispensationalism and progressive dispensationalism is kind of twofold. They acknowledge the already and not yet aspect, and they also view David slightly different. In New Covenant theology, the perspective is the already and the not yet is not the millennial kingdom as you see in dispensationalism, but the eternal kingdom. And that would be the difference there. Let me give you two examples. This is coming out of Blue Letter Bible. This is Larkin. You'll recall that Larkin is one of our classic dispensationalists. What's he known for? The charts. That's correct. He's a, a, a mechanical engineer by trade. And he gives us all these incredible charts. I want you to listen to the language. But when 600 years of times of the Gentiles, and by the way, my source is Blue Letter Bible right here. You can read the entire thing for yourself. When 600 years of the times of the Gentiles had run their course, God made, God again made the attempt to set up his kingdom on the earth. Now, when you hear those words, I mean, that, that should just be, God doesn't make any attempts. 
Okay, that, that's, that's problematic language. He announced the kingdom to Mary, the birth of the king. 30 years later, the king's forerunner, John the Baptist, announced the kingdom was at hand. And when the king manifested himself to Israel, he himself made the same announcement and later sent the 12 and the 70 to proclaim the same thing. But the king was rejected, crucified, and setting up the kingdom was postponed. And that's the idea right there. And that's what's going to separate a classic dispensationalist. The kingdom took on its mystery form under the name kingdom of heaven. And if you acknowledge this idea right here, then you have to conclude that the only place you can find information about that is in Matthew. And you have to use the King James translation because that's where that heavy emphasis of kingdom of heaven is in Matthew. Kingdom of God is in Mark. And that's just a distinction that is not tenable from a study perspective. Let me give you another one. This is John Woolward. And again, he's a dispensationalist in the 20th century. Larkin was in the 19th century. And he writes, according to Hosea 3, 4, and 5, written long before the Babylonian captivity, it was predicted, for the children of Israel shall abide many days without a king, without a prince, without sacrifice, without pillar, without ephod, tephrim. Afterward shall the children of Israel return and seek Jehovah their God and David their king. And this is really an important distinction right here. And shall come with fear unto Jehovah and his goodness in latter days. According to this passage, therefore, it can be assumed that God, while permitting the throne to be empty, nevertheless assured it to David and his seed, prophesying Israel will return to the Lord in the future millennial kingdom, and a resurrected David would be their king. And that would be a distinction, the idea of David being physically re resurrected to be the king, as opposed to the greater David... And church, who's the greater David? Yeah, it's Jesus. And so is, is the resurrected David of old going to sit on this throne? Or is Jesus going to sit on this throne? And that's the debate. All right, so now let's get into the idea of rapture. Throughout tonight, we're going to examine whether there's continuity or discontinuity. And this is a really big deal. Continuity among Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Continuity between Jesus and Paul. Continuity between Jesus, Paul, and John. Continuity even between 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. So we're going to use this language throughout the, the, the night, this idea of continuity versus discontinuity. So now let's get into the rapture. Where do we get this word rapture? Let's unpack that first. It derives its origin from a Latin word in the Vulgate. It's a Latin word in the Vulgate. So let me read it to you in the ESV. Then we who are alive and who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so will always be with the Lord. And so this word caught up right here, this word caught up in the Greek is translated in the Latin as this rap, R-A-P-I-E-M-U-R. In the NASB, it's also caught up. So there's universal agreement on the caught up. Now, where's this found? Yeah, this is 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. And, and, and we'll read the context. But we do not want you to be uninformed, the King James says, ignorant brothers, about those who have asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through the, Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord... This is the word perusia. We'll look at that in a moment. Will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of a command, with the voice of an archangel, with the trump of God. So we have a cry of a command, we have an archangel, and we have a sound of a trumpet. We need to remember that. The dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together. Here's our word in the Latin, rapture with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so will we always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So again, this word rapmir here is Latin. I want you to notice it's a verb. The idea is snatch, grab, carry off, abduct. Uh, these are the words here on the right-hand side. Another idea, drag off, snatch, destroy, hurry. These are all the words that this Latin word means. Going into the Greek now, not the Latin, it's harpozo right here. Here it is right here. And I need you to see 
This is a verb. This is the big deal. This is not a noun. As my granddaughter reminded me, Papa, nouns are person, places, and things. Okay? This is a verb. And you get these words like take, plunder, snatch, snatches, snatching, carried, and caught. For example, John 10, 28 and 29. I will give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. This is clearly an action. Can we agree on that? It is a verb. So we need to remember that. So number one, the word rapture is not a noun in the Greek or the Latin. It is not a separate event. It is a verb. Most of the time when you hear rapture being described by somebody, they're going to describe it as an event. They'll say the rapture. And they'll describe it as though it is separate from the second coming of Jesus Christ. That idea that the rapture is separate from the second coming of Jesus Christ ignores the reality that it's a verb and not a noun. And this is an important distinction to be made. Again, let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 15. Go ahead and take a moment to turn there. Again, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse number 15. So he says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may grieve as others who have no hope. For since we believe that Christ died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who are falling asleep. For this we declare to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming. Now there's your noun right there. This word coming right here is the word perusia. And you should learn that word, the perusia. And we'll look at that in just a moment. This is the noun. The word caught up is one of the many verbs in this passage. Now think with me, at this coming of Jesus Christ, what are all the things that we see happening? All right, let's describe them. All the saints that are in heaven who do not have bodies, their bodies are on this earth, they are coming back with Jesus, right? The dead in Christ, their bodies are being resurrected. So my right hand is souls coming back. My left hand is bodies coming out of the ground. And what's happening with this right hand and this left hand? They're uniting. Okay? They're uniting. Dead in Christ are uniting with souls. And now they have their resurrected body. All right? We've got the, them taken care of. Now we also have a group of people who are alive at that time. It could or could not be us. It'd be amazing if it was us. What an experience that would be. Better than any carowinds trip you've ever been to in your life, right? And you're getting caught up. You're, you're literally being lifted up. And in the lifting up process to be with Jesus, you're being changed. According to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in a twinkling of an eye, in a moment of time, you're ditching your present old physical body and receiving a spiritual body, a glorious body, like the one that Christ had. So there are numerous events happening at this second coming of Christ, or this perusia right here. And again, here's the blue letter Bible. We're going to use that throughout the night. Here's the word coming, and here's our word parousia or perusia. It's pronounced both ways if you listen to it. I think even on the blue letter um, recording here, It'll, the, the gentleman that does this will give you two pronunciations here. This is a noun. This is important because this is our event. This is our event. The perusia, the parousia is our event. In the context of 1 Thessalonians 4, the rapture is one of many things that happen at the second coming. Many things. Souls of the saints return with Christ. The dead in Christ are raised up. And those who are alive are caught up. Isn't it interesting 
that we have not assigned a name to the other two. In other words, this letter C right here is the only one that gets the word rapture. The other two don't get their own noun associated with it, only the rapture. And every time you hear someone refer to the rapture as a noun, they're using the word incorrect. Is the rapturing, the, the gathering, the caught up with. That's the idea here. Again, you'll bring with them who are fallen asleep. The dead in Christ rise first, and we will be caught up together with them in the air. Number three, nowhere, I mean nowhere in the New Testament, is there any indication that Christ returns twice. Now, some of you may think, well, are, are you new, new to this idea? No. No. John was here. 2012, Mark chapter 13. That's when all this started for me. This journey is 12 years long. And in 12 years of preaching two sermons a week, various other preaching events, lessons in all kinds of venues, I've not found anything in Scripture to contradict what I'm teaching you tonight. This is not, I'm not presenting this to you for the first time. Many of you who've been with me since then remember these lessons. Uh, Steve was on staff. Jonathan was on staff. Bill Sturm was on staff at that time. When we ran into this, when I ran into this, we huddled in my office. We had lots of conversations about, what is this? This is contrary to everything I've been taught. This idea of the rapture is not a separate event but is a subset. You will find nothing in Scripture to give you any indication that there is a secret coming of Christ. Uh, An invisible one, and one in which he grabs everybody and they disappear back. It's not present. In fact, if you look at Blue, uh, Blue in our Bible and you look up the word perugia, it occurs 24 times in our New Testament. It's described as the coming, the arrival, the event. It is the future visible return from heaven of Jesus. Now, it's not used only in that context. Paul could have a coming. Peter can have a coming. When I show up at your front door, Georgianne, I'm coming to your house. I'm not coming sneaking and grabbing and you, don't, you see me. It's a very visible showing up. Listen to the language of um, Blue Letter Bible. The future visible return from heaven of Jesus to raise the dead, hold the last judgment, set up a formally and gloriously kingdom of God. So now turn to Matthew chapter 24. Uh, is this a discussion? No, sir. I don't have enough time for a discussion. Yep. But I'm certainly open to lots of discussions afterwards. Yep. Matthew 24. Now, I trust when you're turning there that you know why you're turning there. What do we call this passage? Yes, we call it the Olivet Discourse because it was given on where? Yeah, the Mount Olives. Now, this is the dominant location for our word Perugia. Verse 3, verse 27, verse 37. And verse 39. This is all over the text. The, the, tell us when these things will be and what will be the sign of your coming. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. For where the days of Noah will be coming the Son of Man. And again the coming of the Son of Man. So in my opinion, this is the most neglected eschatological passage in the New Testament. Leading to multiple incorrect collusions, and wrong beliefs. It is the most comprehensive, single, eschatological passage in the entire Bible. This is Dwight D. Pentecost. This is the book right here. 
I have it on my shelf. I've been reading it for at least 20 years. I look at it when I'm studying Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. I want you to see what he says concerning this passage. Let us note concerning this great eschatological discourse that Jesus was here revealing the prophetic program for Jerusalem, the nation Israel, and the people of Israel. He made no reference to the church or the prophetic program for the church. Jesus did not speak here of events that will precede the consummation of the program for the church at the rapture. See John 14, 1 through 4, 1 Corinthians 15, 51, 52, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 17. Rather, he dealt with the future tribulation or seven-year period that will complete the prophetic program for Israel as revealed in Daniel 9, 27. Because of its Jewish context, this portion of Scripture must be interpreted with reference to Israel and not the church. Now, do you see what he just did? All right, is it okay to do that? I want you to think about this. He said that when you read this passage, do not think of it as applying to who? Church. And the reason is because Jesus didn't tell you that it applies to the church. And because Jesus didn't tell you it applies to the church, who does it apply to? According to him, it's Jerusalem. And who else? Israel. Israel? Yeah. Now, here's what you need to realize. Matthew. Mark. Luke. John. Four Gospels. The word church is used twice. In four Gospels. Mark. No reference to church. Luke. No reference to church. John, no reference to church. Not even one time. So if Jesus has to tell me this is for the church, he didn't tell me that for Mark. He didn't tell me that for Luke. And he didn't tell me that for John. This is bad hermeneutic. There are two references to the church in the book of Matthew. You should know them. Matthew 16, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Jesus is going to build his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail in it. That's the first one. Matthew 18, that's the passage when we have sin against our brother, right? Tell it to one one on one, then what do we do? Go to two or three, and then where do we go? The church. That's your last reference to church, Matthew 18. Until you get to Acts chapter 2. So, if you follow his logic and you turn to, we don't have time to do this, but if you turn to Matthew 28, and where am I going to Matthew 28? Come on, all you should know this. The Great Commission. He does not give you any word in the church. All right, what is in Matthew 5, 6, and 7? What's in Matthew 5, 6, and 7? What do we call it? The Sermon on the Mount. Well, that's not for us because he didn't mention the word what? Church. Here, here's what I want you to see. Here's John 14. So this is what he's saying here. Now turn to John 14. Let not your heart be troubled in verse number one of John chapter 14. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. King James has mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and take you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. Did you see where he said church? Did you notice where he has the word church? Did you, did you see church? No, I didn't either. So how am I supposed to know that this is the church without the word church? You say, are you mocking? I'm not mocking. I'm trying to make a point that you don't get to tell me something is not applicable to me without a legitimate reason. You don't just get to say, don't worry about this. So let's go back to Matthew 24 and let's look over it because it is incredible. 
See, in verse number four, see. See that no one leads you astray. Many will say in that, in that my name, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. You're going to hear about wars and rumors of war. See that you're not alarmed. Who's he talking to, by the way? Who's he talking to? Is he talking to Jewish Pharisees or Sadducees? Who's he talking about? Disciples. Is he talking to the same disciples that he gave the Great Commission to in Matthew 28? See that no one leads you astray. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, earthquakes, various places. All these things are the beginning birth pains. They will deliver you up for tribulation, put you to death. You'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. Because the lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Now look at verse 15. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, and let those who are in Judea flee mountaintops. Let the one who's on the housetop not go down to take what is his house. The one who's in the field, don't turn back to take his cloak. Alas, women who are pregnant and those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight be not in the winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be, notice please, great tribulation. Great tribulation. Such has not been from the beginning of the world until now. No, nor ever will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human would be saved but for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. If anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or there he is, do not believe him. False Christs and false prophets will arise and perform many great signs, wonders. So as the lead astray, if it were possible, what's it say, church? Even the elect. Now, if Jesus Christ is not talking to the church then you have to conclude that he's using elect in two different ways. The elect of us, and then a separate Jewish elect that doesn't mix. We have to decide, do we have continuity or do we have discontinuity? Verse 25. See, I've told you before, so it is say to you, look, he's in the wilderness, or do not go out. If they say, look, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe him. For as lightning comes from east and shines as far west, so will be the perusia of the Son of Man. Where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. You're going Luke chapter 17, verse 37. Verse 29. Immediately... After the tribulation of those days, the sun will be dark and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven. The powers of heaven will be shaken. Then will appear in the heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the, see the Son of Man, Perugia, coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Now look at verse number 31. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. So let's look on the screen for just a moment. The gospel's got to be preached and continue to be preached until Christ comes. There's going to be some type of an abomination, desolation event that we should be aware of. Paul will talk about that more in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. The final days will be characterized by an unprecedented level of deception such that were possible, even the elect, although it's not possible, would be deceived. Four, after the great tri tribulation, Christ will appear, and I, and I have underlined here, in a very visible way. Number five, a trumpet call will announce the gathering of the elect of God in the air, 
And then number six, moving to chapter 25, there'll be a final judgment. I'm going to show you incredible continuity between this Olivet Discourse right here and 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. I'm fully convinced that the Apostle Paul had his own copy of Matthew. Remember, he didn't walk with Jesus, right? He wasn't there when these words were spoken. Many believe that Mark is the first gospel written. I don't think it's the first gospel. I think Matthew is the first gospel written. I want to ask you a question. If you were the Apostle Paul and you'd come to Christ and you knew that Matthew had written a gospel, how bad would you want that copy of the gospel? You guys, you think 27 New Testament books bound up I got my Hebrew Bible with me, the Old Testament. I carry it, I'm, you know. That's not how it was. It may very well be that when Matthew wrote his gospel, the only other book in circulation was the book of James. James and Matthew. And if you're Paul and you haven't been there walking for three years, and there's an incredible account of that, do you not want to get a hold of that? Now look, I am not negating divine inspiration. Did the Holy Spirit give them all the words? Sure. But did he turn them into robots to where they didn't have to read, they didn't have to think? No. No. Did Paul have to do the hard work of learning? Yes. Absolutely. So I want to ask, how much did this Olivet Discourse influence Paul's theology? We don't have time to read Mark 13, but you don't get any new details from Mark's Olivet Discourse. It's nearly identical, only more condensed. So now leave your Bible open to Matthew 24, and let's look at Luke 17 on the screen. So you're in Matthew 24, and let's look at Luke 17 all over again. And he said to his disciples, the days are coming when you desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. They're going to say, look there or look here. Do not follow them. As lightning flashes and lights up from the sky, one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be. Do you think that Luke is talking about the same event, the same description as Matthew? Yes, sister? The first must suffer many things and be rejected this generation, just as it was in the days of Noah, so will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking, marrying, giving a marriage... Until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot. Now, this is new information. Did we read anything about Lot in Matthew 24? No, we did not. This is new information. So how similar are these passages? My answer is very similar. Very similar. Look at the end of Luke 17. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom... Fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. Notice verse 30. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. What is the it referring to? Yeah. It's got to be the fire and sulfur. Again, look at 29. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, what happened? Fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. When did the fire and sulfur rain down? When did it rain down? After they were grabbed. I mean, you talk about a full-blown snatch-and-grab operation. Two angels were sent in to get Lot, his wife, and daughters. Even the son-in-laws are mentioned. They get them out of here. And then what's going to happen when he gets them out of there? It's going to rain down destruction. And Jesus takes this information, fire and sulfur being rained down, and calls it what? It. When the Son of Man is revealed. This is the Greek word right here. Let's look at it. It's to uncover. It's to lay open. It is to make sure that it's veiled or disclosed or to make bare. It's to make visible. So again, prusia. Acapulco, I don't know how to pronounce that, but it's like 
apocalypse. It's that origin of word there, the end, the revealing. Thank you. So what I want to do now because of Dwight D. Pentecost's reference to John 14, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Thessalonians 4, I want to go there next. I, I want to, we've already done John 14. I want to look at 1 Corinthians and 1 Thessalonians. I want us to compare these passages. I want to teach you what I'm calling the trumpet connection. I want to teach you what I'm calling the trumpet connection. All right, on the screen, I have four columns. Two are in blue, two are in green. I have Matthew 24, 31. I have 1 Corinthians 15, 52. I have 1 Thessalonians 4, 16. And I have Revelation eleven fifteen. And I want to show you the trumpet connection. In Matthew 24, 31, and he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds, one end of heaven to the other. 1 Corinthians 15, 52, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead, and the, the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall all be changed. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of a command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then finally, Revelation eleven fifteen. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ, and he shall reign forever. That's a Revelation eleven fifteen. The seventh trumpet blows, and this is game over. We're at the end. There's nothing more. The kingdom of God is going to be established. Now, what we have to decide this morning, tonight, is am I supposed to see continuity or discontinuity between these four trumpet blows? Because there's no doubt that the two blue ones going like this with you, they're the same. There's no doubt about that. Because he makes it clear this is after the tribulation. There's no question that Revelation eleven fifteen and this trumpet are the same. The issue becomes, and this is where the disagreement is. This is the heart of the disagreement. That the green is separate. This is the heart of the disagreement. That Jesus and John are talking about this event and Paul is talking about a totally different event. There is a trumpet call that happens at the rapture seven years before this trumpet call right here. That is the current dominant view. And I want to ask the question, what would cause me to think that? What would cause me to create discontinuity instead of continuity? Why would I not see that there's a consistent trumpet theme throughout this passage and connect them? Why would I want to isolate them when I have these common things like here's an angel and here's an archangel right here and here are the angels right here? In Matthew 24, the rapturing of the elect occurs after the tribulation. But what about 1 Thessalonians 4? Is that the same or a different event? So here's my question to you. And it's pretty simple. Is the target audience the same between 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians? Paul wrote two letters. 1 Thessalonians and what? 2 Thessalonians. Okay. Do you think that the target audience was different or the same? Same. You get your first letter from Paul and you get your second letter. Do you think that there were many people who heard both letters in the church? Okay. So, can I use 2 Thessalonians 
to influence you concerning 1 Thessalonians? Yes? I can. I've got the same author. I have the same church. Same context. So turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. We've already read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 several times. 2 Thessalonians chapter number 1. What we're trying to decide right now is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 a separate event or the same event as Matthew 24 and Revelation chapter number 11. And we're going to look at 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2. Chapter 1 and then 2. Here it is. Verse 5. This is the evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to those who are afflicted as well to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God on those who do not obey the Lord Jesus Christ. How many feel like that is a secret event? (laughs) They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. Now let's, let's, let's grab a hold of what Paul's saying here. Please don't just run over it. Would you allow yourself to just imagine for a moment being alive at this event. And you hear this piercing trumpet call. And you've read about the trumpet. You've heard about the trumpet. You've sung about the trumpet. And you look up into the heavens and the Lord Jesus Christ is there. And there are angels making a breakneck speed towards you. And they are snatching you up. And gathering you to Christ Jesus. And you're seeing Jesus, Gene, for the very first time face to face. You talk about a marveling level, Brian, that is going to be unprecedented. You're going to be like, this is the ultimate confirmation that everything I believed is true. Am I exaggerating this or do you feel like that that's a fair representation of how amazing this would be? And you are so thankful that you're not down there as vengeance is being poured out on those who chose to ignore the gospel of Jesus Christ. So here's what you have to decide. You have to say, this is the conclusion you have to make. In the first letter, Paul wrote to them about a secret event. And in the second letter, Paul wrote to them about a visible event. But he used the same Greek word and he didn't give them any clue that there was a difference. Church, that's an untenable position. You'd have to assume that Paul was intentionally trying to confuse them by giving them no clues that he's moving from one event to another. But we're not done. Again, Paul uses the same word as Luke 17. This revealing word. In Paul, it's a noun. In Luke, it's a verb. But it's the revealing of Christ. Now let's look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Listen to the language Paul used. Now concerning... Now concerning the perusia of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together with Him. 
Now, if you, have, if you mark in your Bible, I want you to underline the coming, the parousia, and I want you to underline our being gathered together to him. And then I want you to write down right next to this, Matthew 24, 31. Matthew 24, 31. He says, now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by spirit or spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes when? First. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object worsen, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. What is Paul talking about from the Olivet Discourse? The abomination of desolation. That's exactly right. That's what he's talking about. He says, do you not remember that when I was with you, I told you these things? You know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. The mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he's out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. Of his coming. So again, church, am I supposed to look at, am I supposed to, when I read 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2, and I read now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together with him right here, when I, when I read that, and I remember that he will send out his angels with a loud voice in Matthew chapter 24, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heaven, am I supposed to go, no, no connection? Am I supposed to create a line of discontinuity? Or am I supposed to think continuity? Am I supposed to contemplate the idea that obviously Paul knew what Christ taught in Matthew 24 and is reiterating it? Or is Paul coming up with his own event separate from anything Christ taught? Church, the only conclusion that I can say when I look at the Greek and see that it's the same exact root word, one's a noun, one's a verb, is Paul's talking about the same thing. At this point, we can dogmatically say that the elect of God arrive at the second coming of Christ will be raptured before the wrath of God is poured out on the ungodly, but not before the tribulation According to Matthew, Mark, Luke, 1 Corinthians, I'll show you that in a minute, and 1 and 2 Thessalonians. Again, this is really important for you to see. This, our being gathered together to him, is a rapture event. And this rapture event happens unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed. Turn for a moment to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. So just turn back a page, I think. You'll hear this argument on a regular basis, but Jesus said he's coming like a thief in the night. So let's talk about that for just a moment. Again, look at verse 16. The Lord will descend with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, the sound of the trumpet of God. The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive or left will be caught up together with the Lord to meet them in the air, and so will we ever be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another through these words. And now keep reading. Now concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware... The day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains. Pregnant women. Where's that coming from, church? Matthew 24. Exactly. Matthew 24. 
They will not escape. Now look at what he says in verse 4. Underline it in your Bible. But brothers and sisters at the church at Thessalonica, you are not in the what? You're not in the darkness. Brothers, for that day to do what? To surprise you like a thief. Why are you not in the darkness? Why are you tonight in this auditorium? Why are you not in the darkness? We have his word. We have his word. You know that there's a man of sin, a lawlessness type individual that's going to set himself up. You're aware of that. You don't exactly know what it's going to look like, but you're aware of it. When you see the conditions being set, you're going to be careful not to be deceived. You know that many are going to say in that day, Lord, Lord, the Christ, the Christ. You know that there's going to be all kinds of levels of deception. You're fully aware of that. You're looking at things happening and it does not come upon you like a thief because, Kathy, you know what Scripture says. How many of you have your own copy of the book of Revelation? How many of you have your own copy of the book of Revelation? You have your own copy. That's good. All right, everybody should. Right. And the more you know that book, the less it's going to be a thief in the night. Can you see that or not, church? Have you not studied all the different symbols and signs and things that you should be expecting? It was written to the church to keep us in the darkness or to bring us into the light. When he says, unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, where does Paul get all this language? Look at Paul in 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2, verse number 10. Verse number 9. He writes, The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception. What does that remind you of, church? All wicked deception? Does that not remind you what we read in Matthew chapter 24? Were it not possible that even the elect would be what? Deceived? Ask yourself tonight, why would Paul tell the church of Thessalonica all this information if in fact they were to be raptured at a separate event prior to all this? Am I supposed to see continuity here or not? All right, let's talk about 1 Thessalonians, I mean 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If Paul has clearly explained in 2 Thessalonians chapters 1 and 2 that this trumpet of God event occurs after the man of sin is revealed, does he have to readdress it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 Corinthians 15? Does he have to readdress it? Or am I supposed to make the connection as I read his letters? Here's our word perusia. As it relates to the coming of Christ. Here's our word perusia as it relates to the coming of Christ. There are actually 24 references. These are 14. The other 10 deal with the coming of Paul, the coming of Peter, the coming of different individuals. Matthew 24, 3, 27, 37, 39, 1 Corinthians 15, 23, 1 Thessalonians 19, 2, 19, 4, 15, 5, 23, 2 Thessalonians 2, 1, 2, 8, James 5, 7, 5, 8, 2 Peter 3, 4, 1 John 2, 28. Here's my question. One event or two events? And Lynn, if you concluded two events, then you have to be the one that tells me yes, no, yes, no, first, second, first, second, first, second. And how would you do that when it's the exact same Greek word? All right, let's go back to Luke chapter 17 for the last five minutes together. So I can show you more continuity, not less.
They said to him, where, Lord? He said to them, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. In Matthew 24, 28, wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. How many of you have seen roadkill? Roadkill, come on. All right. What's the easy way to spot roadkill? Yeah, it's a no-brainer. Come on, you've seen it with your own eyes. This is not a new idea to you. You've seen it. You've seen these nasty birds that come down and eat this raw meat. It's gross. Turn to Revelation chapter 19. Turn to Revelation chapter 19. Look at verse 17. Revelation chapter 19. Verse 17. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun. With a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly overhead. Come gather for the great supper of God. To eat the flesh of the kings, the flesh of the captains, the flesh of the mighty one. The flesh of the horses, the flesh of their riders. The flesh of all men, both free and slave small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured and with it the false prophet who is in presence had done the signs which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were thrown alive in the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. And the rest was slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse. And all the birds were gorged with their flesh. So here's my question to you tonight, church. Am I supposed to make a connection between Revelation 21, 17, back to Matthew and Luke, or a disconnection? What do you think, church? Connection. Absolutely. The central issue that you have to decide in a personal sense is am I looking for continuity or discontinuity? Am I making connection points between writings or am I looking to divide them up? I'm looking for continuity. The reason I'm looking for continuity is because the same Holy Spirit inspired all the writers. And I believe that we should be looking for that. The last thing that I want to draw to your attention, because it's a little indecisive, is how does this relate to Matthew 13, 30? So last week we looked at this passage concerning gathering weeds first and then binding the bundles and then the weed into the barn. And then we made this parallel between I tell you and that night there will be two in one bed and one will be taken the other left. And we were wondering who's being taken here. In Luke 17 and Matthew 24, are the angels gathering the unbelievers or the believers? And clearly in Matthew 24, they're called God's elect. So here's the question. Do God's angels remove the six billion lost people from the earth before the trumpet sounds and the angels gather God's elect? The vultures, the birds are eating the flesh of those who died from the wrath of God being poured out. Do you see that? Which is why God's elect must be gathered to the Lord. But you say, what about Matthew 13, 39, and 40? That's a legitimate question. So I'm ending with this. In Matthew 13, and this is a series of kingdom of heaven parables, one right after another. There's about six of them or so. I'm not exactly sure how many, but there's several. The enemy who sowed them is the devil, and the harvest is at the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be with the end of the age. So in this section of Scripture, you get the impression that the angels are going to get the unbelievers first. In fact, the word first is used. But in the same exact pericope, in the same section of Scripture, Jesus gives another parable and says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. 
And when it was full, men drew it ashore and set it down and sorted the good into the containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age, the angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into a fiery furnace. In that place, they'll be reaping and gnashing of teeth. So Jesus is using a series of illustrations. And in one illustration, he says that the wheat are going to be gathered first. I mean, the tares and the weeds and then the wheat. But in this illustration, he says it's a big dragnet and he just gets them all. And then what's he do with them? Sheep, goat, sheep, goat, sheep, goat. And he separates them. All right, last thing, and we're done. Who rescued Lot and his daughters? Angels. And that's why I think Luke mentions that in Luke 17, to let us know that the angels are going for the elect. Father in heaven, I thank you, Lord, for such a good crowd who was so patient with me to work over such an extensive body of Scripture. I pray, Lord, that you would use this message in the weeks and months to come to educate the people of God better on a comprehensive understanding of the rapture. In Jesus' name, amen.